life is too short and too precious to come home from work unhappy every day. Mm. So I've always been driven on one level by finding a job or a profession that I feel dedicated to and passionate about. That I could wake up every morning looking forward to the challenges of the day. Listening to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome back to this episode of the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Mode Sports Nutrition. Their website is myfitmode.com myfitmode.com. Mode is a natural sports nutrition company and their vision is to empower athletes of all disciplines to get the most out of their potential while promoting a healthy lifestyle. Um, Yeah, that sounds exactly like the theme of this show. And it is not ironic then that I happen to just love these products. I got hooked on them back in the spring. It started with my obsession with their energy shots. They make both blocks drink mixes as well as pre-mixed drinks. And it was the power drink, specifically the re-energizer shot that made me a true believer. I struggle with muscle cramps in my legs after long, hot endurance events. And whatever it is about these re-energizer shots, I swear it is magic. I've been using these shots for all of my long gravel races this year as well as long training rides. In fact, Dirty Kansas is the perfect example. I had zero muscular cramps anywhere. Triceps, fingers, legs, calves, face, you name it. There were no muscle cramps. And um, I carry these little orange mango tasting shots with me on big rides and during big races. And so far, I have 100% success um, with these products along for the ride. I am also a big fan of the blocks. They make these all natural ingredient energy blocks. They call them raw energy, and they are either blueberry and coconut, mango and apricot, or chocolate and walnut. Quite frankly, they are all my favorite. All of them have just a little bit of energizer in them, usually a little bit of ginseng or something similar, but they are raw energy. You can actually pronounce the ingredients, and they are packaged in these really perfectly sized little plastic wrappers that make it super easy to just grab a couple bites of the bar and then put it back in your pocket. A big believer of these products big believer in this company i love their owner she um just a quick story i ordered online too late to get the product that i needed in time for dirty kanza and i told her how important it was because i was really worried about muscle cramps the owner actually took the time and effort to get those products overnighted to me to my hotel in tiny town emporia kansas and it was a large part of my success at this year's Dirty Kanza race in the single speed. So now I don't let myself go dry. I always make sure I've got some of their product on hand. I'm a huge believer. Check them out. They're offering a discount to our listeners too. If you use the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N at checkout, you'll save yourself some money. It is all refrigeration required. So it will come to you in a cooler pack and you want to stick that stuff in your fridge as soon as it arrives. Again, check them out on the website, myfitmode.com and use the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N at checkout to save yourself some cash. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome back. 
Today's guest is Michael Doherty of the Boulder County District Attorney's Office. In fact, he is the newest head district attorney in the office. He was just voted in earlier this year. Here in Colorado, district attorneys are voted in by the voters and they are retained by the voters. And that is exactly what Michael Doherty did on his first run for the office. He talks about what it's like to throw your hat in the ring and go for office at the same time that you are working full time as a district attorney and um, talk about someone giving his all. This guy is running a large office of district attorneys and staff. He's also trying cases himself as an attorney. He is a sort of part politician having run for this office and I'm sure looking for retention. In addition, he's serving on some committees to evaluate wrongful convictions and that's done in partnership with the defense bar. And oh, on the side, he's a parent of two twins and he is a long distance runner. I think he told me he did a couple 50 mile runs and I believe there was a hundred miler in there at some point, if I'm not mistaken. This guy, eats, sleeps, and breathes, giving it his all. He is pure energy. He's also really fun to talk to and really fun to listen to. He's got some great stories. And the part that I enjoyed most was hearing from Michael how he has always felt a calling to public service. He's pretty much always known he wanted to be an attorney. And he hits the ground in the morning running knowing that he's going to a job that he truly enjoys. And he talks about the fact that he doesn't see people on their best day when they're part of the criminal justice system, but there's a lot of redemption to be done and a lot of rehabilitation that they see. And he's also making a difference and making our community safer. And he's really got significant purpose behind his every single day. I was incredibly inspired and also just thankful for the opportunity to sit down with him We've had occasion to work together as a result of the district attorney's office handling some of the criminal convictions of motorists who have hit some of our cycling clients. It was really great to connect with him on a personal level, and I just found this so insightful. I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. Tune in today for Michael Doherty, the newest Boulder County district attorney. All right, we are underway. Well, welcome. Welcome, Mr. Michael Doherty. Thank you, Megan. I'm very excited to talk to you today. I was looking forward to this discussion. I really appreciate you being willing to join me on this podcast. And um, for those who are listening and tuning in, just to orient you, I'm sitting in your conference room office here in the Boulder County District Attorney's Office. And you're not just a DA, you are the DA in this office. And this is a recent position for you, yes? That's correct. So I've been a prosecutor for 21 years, but I had the honor of becoming Boulder's District Attorney in March of this year. And I uh, have the privilege of overseeing an office of just about 90 people. And we have jurisdiction over Boulder County. We investigate and prosecute criminal offenses ranging from trespass up to and including homicide. And our mission every day is to do justice and do the right thing. Not that we're perfect, but that's the, that's the daily goal. That's the goal. Right. And um, for those who are listening who may be out of state, because it's different in every jurisdiction, this is a position in which you are initially brought in by the voters? That's correct, it's an elected position. And then you are retained by whom? By the voters. Again? Yes. And is there a maximum term you can serve? Uh, Two terms, unless I ask the voters for a third term, each term being four years. Okay. Colorado is actually one of the few states that have uh, term limits for district attorneys. Okay, and prior to being in Boulder County, you were working in Jeffco, correct? Yes, as the second in command for the DA's office for Jefferson and Gilpin counties. But you're a Boulder County resident. 
Correct. Yes. Ever since moving to Colorado, uh, we've been in Boulder County. So now you get to live and serve in the same place, which yes. is wonderful. The greatest honor and the shortest commute of my entire legal career. Wonderful. And you're also a cyclist. Yes, although more of a runner, actually. You can probably run to work then if you feel like it. I can, yes, which is incredible. Totally. That's, I mean, talk about happiness trajectory. Less time in the car. Right. Um, so how does one become the head district attorney? What is the, what's the trajectory of your life? Where did this start? So for me, I was uh, born in New York. I went to community college and then ultimately on to Boston University for law school. And I've gone to law school knowing I wanted to go in public service and wanted to serve the community in some aspect. I did not at the time have any idea what that was gonna look like beyond that. And during law school, I thought I was gonna become a public defender and represent indigent defendants who were accused of criminal offenses. But I had a professor and a mentor to this day who told me that if I went to the right DA's office, that the mission of doing justice is something that, that I might find very fulfilling, and he was absolutely right. And I've been doing it for the last 21 years. So I started at the Manhattan DA's office in New York City. I was there for about 12 years. I ended up specializing in sex crimes and rose through the ranks there. Ended up, uh, my last three or four years there, I was in charge of helping to run the day-to-day -day operations of the entire office of 1,300 people. But we moved to Colorado, to Boulder, to start up a wrongful conviction project on a federal grant, looking at inmates who were incarcerated on murder, manslaughter, or sexual assault convictions to see if any of them were in fact innocent. So it's such an incredibly meaningful opportunity, especially at the time, it was really innovative to be part of a prosecution-led effort right. to go back and look for wrongful convictions. So that's what prompted us to make the decision to move to Boulder. And that was a statewide project. Uh, and then I became the head of the criminal section for the Attorney General's office. And then, as you noted, I was in Jeffco for the last five years. Wow. A couple things there I want to drill down on. Sure. One, you knew very early on in your legal career and perhaps even in college that you wanted to be in public service. Do you know where that desire, that pull came from? So a couple things. First, I think it's just partly hardwired into me that I feel the desire to try to make things better in the community in which I live. Second, I come from a family of public servants. My dad was a teacher, my uncles are police officers, my aunts are teachers, and the typical Irish immigrant family story. Uh, my grandparents, all four of them, came over from Ireland and settled in Brooklyn, New York. Wow. Okay, so you saw that in and among your family members aspired to be part of that as opposed to going corporate America or sort of a right. for-profit mentality. And then it's interesting that you pivoted from knowing pretty strongly that you wanted to be a public defender to a mentor saying, I think actually the DA or the other side of the courtroom or the other side of the case might be a better fit for you. Can you describe that or, um, you know, I mean, obviously usually people align with one side or the other and they're different. Yes, uh, and that's a great question. But what was happening for me was I was, so I represented, helped to represent as an intern, a man who was on death row in California um, for a murder that he'd been convicted of. And then I went back to law school and the last two years of law school under the Student Practice Act, I was actually representing defendants as a law student. We have the same kind of system here in Colorado too, where law students can work on behalf of the public defender's office and represent clients. And I was representing people who were guilty and I would work incredibly hard to try to make sure that they got the best possible offer or were not convicted at all. And I was not necessarily feeling fulfilled by it on a personal level, which is why I think public defenders have such an incredibly challenging job because often they're sitting next to and fighting hard on behalf of someone who they may know or believe was in fact guilty of the crime, but they're holding the government to its burden. And that's why I think they have, a, in some cases, a really difficult yeah. job. So 
if you think, for example, about the Boston Marathon bombing, who had the tougher job there, the prosecutor or the defense attorney? And I think in some ways it's the defense attorney. Uh, sure. But I feel really fulfilled every day by working on behalf of victims and on behalf of the community, but most of all to make sure justice is done, including for the accused in every case. You know, as I was driving up here to interview, I was thinking... Um, no bike. What happened <laughs> on the bike? I know. These microphones are heavy. <laughs> no, I had a bunch of things I had to deal with up here, one of which was to bring my giant Mac desktop computer, uh, which no way I can bring that by bike. But um, I was thinking, you know, we come out of law school and oftentimes we're saddled with, you know, student loans and there's always kind of this subtle or not so subtle pressure to go out and earn a lot of money and, and that's what attracts a lot of people to the legal profession. And here you are in public service working incredibly long hours and working very, right. very hard. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears in the job that you do. You could obviously make three or four times what you're making out in private practice um, for probably less hours. And so I'm always curious, what drives someone to do the hard things? You know, where does that drive come from? What is your why? You know, you said to serve the victims in the community, but this is a, this is a tall order. This is a big calling. I appreciate it, and I imagine it's what drives you to do your work, which is life is too short and too precious to come home from work unhappy every day. Mm. So I've always been driven on one level by finding a job or a profession that I feel dedicated to and passionate about, that I could wake up every morning looking forward to the challenges of the day. And being a prosecutor has certainly been that every day for me. Uh, I also had the benefit of, I went to law school with loans paying the whole mm. way through, but I was graduating from law school and I lived in my uncle's apartment and was able to afford a suit and the commute to the DA's office in downtown Manhattan. Uh, but most importantly, to a job that I really loved. And I think part of it is helping victims and also recognizing that there's a certain trust in the law that we have in humanity. And so if you're a cyclist on the side of the road, you're trusting the driver. And if you're a driver, you're trusting the drivers on the other side aren't driving under the influence. Right. And when that trust is broken, trying to put people back on the right track, including the offender. Because the vast majority of the people who end up in the criminal justice system, in my opinion, just need help getting back on the right track and being a productive member of society. I mean, I've handled my share of horrific cases, we all have, but I think the vast majority of the people who enter the courthouse are on misdemeanor and traffic cases, and they just want to be treated with respect, justice to be done, and to go back to their best possible lives. Kind of course correct as a right. result of this interaction with the law. So what part of the job brings you the most personal satisfaction, sort of setting the justice aside? Is it being in the courtroom? Is it leading your staff? Good question. I think it's both of those, actually. I think you hit on the two core things. Uh, I love being in the courtroom. I still handle and try cases myself, and I've always done that as a leader and a supervisor right, for a number of reasons, but one of them being it's what I love doing. The other being you should be able to do the work that you ask sure. your staff to do but also leading the office and trying to support people. I mean, these are really challenging jobs, whether you're a legal yeah. assistant, a secretary, or a prosecutor handling uh, sex assaults and crimes against children. They're doing incredibly stressful work, as you noted, for lower pay than they can make in the private sector. So trying to figure out how to support them and yeah. guide them and help them through that process uh, is a real honor, actually. You know, you're in a unique position. I mean, I'm sure you keep track. Do you know how many trials you've done? I don't keep exact count, no, but I've done a lot of trials. 200? So. A lot. Way over 100 probably, I'm guessing. I've done a lot. We yeah. all have. We yeah. all do. So to someone listening to this who's maybe never set foot in a courtroom, 
you and I probably have heard from more than most people, oh my gosh, I got called for jury duty. I'm so dreading it. And I always tell them it's the best experience you'll ever have. But so what advice would you give to someone who may have the opportunity to be involved in a situation like that? That jury service is a really important civic duty, that it's our opportunity to have the community acting as a check on the government and making sure that the right thing happens in criminal cases. And to be really blunt, that we, I would say we give up one's right to complain about the criminal justice system if we don't participate in the criminal justice system when called. So I strongly believe that our system, the jury system, is why we have the best legal system in the United States. And your listeners may disagree with me, and if they do, then I really encourage them to be jurors and come down, because totally. I think the jury system is a really important part of who we are as Americans. And my experience has been that they're actually really excited they got to serve after the trial's done. Right. In fact, we have a grand jury here in Boulder that meets uh, when we have evidence to present to a grand jury as part of investigations. They serve one-year terms, as they do in Jefferson County. And you can imagine prospective jurors, when they arrive at the courthouse, they think they're coming for a trial jury. We tell them, you're going to be here for a year. And then you have to help them through the recovery of hearing that. Uh, <laughs> for $7 but, a day. <laughs> right. But for grand jurors and trial jurors, you hit on it, Megan. People really enjoy being part of the process. First of all, they get to see a part of the community that they may not see. Right? I mean, there are parts of Boulder. Boulder obviously has some incredibly beautiful areas, but there are some people who are really struggling in Boulder. Right. We have 900 violent felonies this year. That's what we're on track for in Boulder. We've had three homicide trials here in Boulder County already this year. Wow. So that's a part of Boulder that people may not see. And they, so they learn about the criminal justice system, they learn about parts of their community, but most of all, they're helping us reach the right result. Any case come to mind that you're most proud of? I know you've seen some things, but... Um... Most proud of, it's a tough question. Uh, or just that stand out or that there's a great story behind it or so one that comes to mind that stands out is a so 9-11 happened on a Tuesday and I was just thinking about this case because we're approaching the anniversary uh, shortly after the attacks my office was in downtown and that office is still in downtown Manhattan shortly after the attacks there was a gentleman defendant who came out of the rubble of the World Trade Center during the rescue operations claiming to have found survivors and it was a complete hoax. Oh, and there were firefighters who went into the hole without checking the stability of the ground to check if there were actually survivors down there and to rescue them. As they were doing that and risking their lives, the defendant tried to get away and this sharp-eyed detective who'd been there as part of the rescue operation saw the guy and said, wait, where are you going? You're a hero. And people were cheering and you could picture the atmosphere at the time. And he said something along the lines of, well, I'm gonna go over there and save some more people over there, I'll be back. Detective said, you know what, why don't you wait a minute for the firefighters to come out of the hole? Those firefighters were three of the survivors from the firehouse where they lost 11 firefighters. So 11 of the people they worked with every day. The defendant refused to accept responsibility for the case. He'd been charged with reckless endangerment for putting the firefighters' lives in risk, and ultimately that case went to trial. Oh, interesting. So that case really stands out in my mind, but I've had a lot of serious cases go to trial and incredible moments challenging moments and funny moments too along the way uh, but that one comes to mind just because I was thinking about it the other day oh, yeah hard to believe it's coming up quick right um, and so given the things that you've seen difficult hard things that you probably wish you could unsee what are some of the ways that you maintain health in your day-to-day life and you know balance is sort of an overused word but how do you get back up out of bed the next day and come back into work with the clear sense of purpose that you have? It's a terrific question. 
Uh, and it's a question I think about for my staff too, because we all answer that question differently perhaps, right? And as a leader and as a boss, I should be really mindful of the fact that not everyone wants to run or ride right. necessarily, right. but we all want to be healthy and happy. Yeah. I will say as at my core, I do feel uh, a certain sense of positive energy every day. That despite what I see and despite the work that we do, and we see horrific crime scenes and photos and go through things that people should not have to see. I always feel uh, so lucky to be alive. That's at my core. I mean, I had, when I was 20, my best friend was killed in a car accident. And sometimes I think about him and I, I'm just reminded of the responsibility I have to live life to its fullest, to really enjoy life. It's not meant to be endured. I've never felt that way. Although when I say endurance, I'm also mindful of the fact that if you do, so I've done a lot of ultra races. Uh, I've run the Leadville 100 a couple times and I've run 50s all around the state. You know, you go through storms, you go through rough periods, we all do, but recognizing that you come out on the other side and having that perspective makes those periods shorter and more uh, easy to endure. So I feel really, I have a terrific life and I feel really blessed for all that I have. And for the listeners that can't see you, you definitely exude that. And you have, since the day that I met you, there's you. this positive light coming out of you. And I guess that's what I sit and think about is seeing the things you see and then choosing to live your life a certain way and um, not letting these hard things detract from your enjoyment of your job or your life. Um, but I hear that exercise does play a part in your stress management. Is that fair? Oh, for me, definitely. Well, I... Yes, it does, definitely. Anything else that really helps you? Uh, I have 10-year-old twins, so they keep me humble and they keep it real. Uh, and I'm mindful <laughs> of the fact that they should be able to enjoy their lives to their fullest without me ever talking about sure. the work that I do. But I will also add that our office does a lot in terms of restorative justice and diversion and help people get back on the right track. So as much as what I see at times can be uh, the low points of humanity, we see a lot of people who are getting to a better place. And that's really rewarding as that's well. That's got to feel really good. Mm -hmm. um, any advice you would give people who, um, they're not feeling that sense of purpose in their day-to-day -day the way that you do. And, and obviously you've kind of known it in your heart for a long time. And then you set about a very specific path to pursue it. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, I think, that are just kind of on the treadmill slugging it out who don't feel that fulfillment. Um, how do you kind of know that you're in alignment with your purpose or how would you go about seeking it out if you had some advice? So I think there are some people who are probably, I think there are some people who are definitely trapped in jobs due to financial reasons. So they have a family, they, it's not going to be easy for them to switch professions entirely or change jobs. And I respect that. And mm -hmm. I think for those people, it's a much more difficult question to answer. For sure. For others, such as students who are graduating or about to graduate, or those that have the flexibility, financially or otherwise, I think it's being driven by the idea that in the short life that we have, we should have a job since we spend most of our day we at do. work. We, we should have a job that we love and we shouldn't settle. And that takes a lot of courage and that takes looking around and trying and failing and trying again. But that's why I have such respect for the people who move from one profession to another one entirely. I've never done that. And I've had friends who do it, and I think that takes such bravery to say, you know what, I've been a lawyer for all these years, but I'm not enjoying it. So now I'm going to do something completely different and give it my best. Take it a huge leap. Right. But I think that's what we should do if we end up in a place where we're not happy. 
And what about those who, frankly, for financial reasons, you know, being able to choose a job that you love is a bit of a luxury, as you said. If you are in a position where you can't just pivot and switch careers, and certainly I'm thinking that there are parts of your day sometimes that aren't your most favorite, um, but yet you maintain such a positive outlook and attitude, right. you know, what advice would you give to someone to say at least find this part of your day or at least find this utilization of your talents to make the most of your life? Is there place in there where you can pursue purpose even if it's a job that you don't really care for? Yes, uh, I definitely think so. So I think that comes in our hobbies, our passions, sure. and our opportunities to connect with the community. So I'm reminded of years ago, I was talking to a court, court clerk who asked me if I um, truly love my job. And I said, yes. I said, do you enjoy your job? She's like, no. Oh. But it allows me the schedule and the money to ride my motorcycle. And that's what I love most of all. I was like, oh, okay. But I really admired her for recognizing that she had something that work allowed her to do. Sure. So finding something that allows one to do that. Uh, also connecting with the community. You know, I'm, you know, I'll give a plug for our volunteer program at the DA's office. Oh, do we it, have please. people who yes. volunteer both in our community protection, working on behalf of immigrants and consumers, but also we have a restorative justice and diversion program. We have volunteers who handle actual cases and presentations to the community. Oh, wow. And this office is very lucky to have them helping us because we wouldn't be able to meet the demands of the community without them. So people can volunteer by visiting our website or calling me directly at 303-441-3798 and we'll connect them to different volunteer opportunities. Right on. Giving back really is a huge part of feeling like fulfillment and right. purpose, isn't it? Um, and that theme has become continuous throughout these podcasts is it has to be about more than just me. And it has to be about more than money. Frankly. Definitely. And the people I talk to that are the most satisfied with their lives are the ones who do something because it utilizes their ta talents and also they feel this pull of this purpose. Um, so, you know, the, the focus is maximum enthusiasm and you certainly exude that. Um, you know, how would you say that juries respond to you as opposed to someone who's barely getting through the day? Do you think they respond to your energy? So I would, what I always tell attorneys is we should be true to ourselves. So they're, people who have a different approach with juries, better or different than mine. Uh, so do juries respond to one's energy? Yes, but I think it has to be one's true self. Authentic. So someone shouldn't get up in front of a jury and try to be some Shakespearean character. <laughs> uh, you know, you can't change your accent necessarily. <laughs> much as I've been have told that I should. Do that? <laughs> uh, but you can't change who you are in front of the jury. So there are some people who are just more stoic and more straight-laced, and there are some people who are really theatrical and dramatic, and that's just their nature, right? We all have friends who are great storytellers, and we have people who are really flatline, who are terrific people and dynamic, but they just have a different presentation. So I think juries respond more to genuine presentation delivery as opposed to any particular level of uh, positive energy. Uh, anything funny as of late in the courtroom? Any cool story, uh, funny, entertaining? That's a good question. There are so many funny moments in this job. I know that sounds strange. So for your listeners, they may think it's odd for a DA to say. It's actually good to hear. But we have a lot of uh, incredible characters who come through the doors of the courthouse and moments that play out in court where you're left shaking your head and then smiling in the hallway after, if not laughing openly. I'll have to give more thought to funny moments Specific that have happened knowledge. recently. Yes, but we have a lot of them. And I suspect you do a lot of reading for work, just lawyers in general. We mm -hmm. have um, lots of words come across our desk, but are there books that you've recently read that have really touched you or impacted you either as a lawyer, as a leader, a runner? 
So I actually rotate books between fiction and nonfiction. It's my pattern that I have. Uh, so right now I'm reading a murder mystery, which I probably okay. shouldn't be reading. <laughs> Can't but, get enough of that at work. <laughs> I know. It was a gift. Uh, so now I'm reading it. But I just recently read Team of Rivals, which talks about Abraham Lincoln bringing all the candidates who ran against him for president into his cabinet. Oh, wow. So his cabinet were the contenders for the presidency that Abraham Lincoln won. I didn't realize that. And to read that now, and to think about that now, and the political climate in which we live was just incredible. So it's called Team, Team of Rivals, and a really great book, and reminds me of the importance of trying to connect with others and accomplish more as elected officials and as leaders and one another. I mean, if you, in your own life, think about have your relationships been affected with your family and your friends over the last 10 years because of your political views, whatever they might be, I imagine the answer is yes, you're nodding, and I think most listeners and I would agree with you. I think we need to work past that and overcome that to continue to make ourselves better, our lives happier, and to do more for our community. So I was really struck by that book, especially in the world in which we live right now. Have you had occasion to work with any of the folks against whom you ran for office? So not as yet, no. I'd be open to that, though. Uh, Where I see it, though, is the work that I'm doing with the Public Defender's Office. So the Public Defender's are often opposing us in criminal cases. But with the public defender's help, we just set up the first conviction integrity unit in the state to go back and look for wrongful convictions in Boulder County. If anyone has a claim that they're actually innocent, they can contact my office. And in collaboration with the defense bar, so that's really transparent, effective, and thorough, we go back and look at these cases to make sure justice is done, which is our mandate. So it's the first one in the state. We just set it up, and I'm really excited about it. So being able to connect with the public defender who, if next week we have a trial against one another, we'll be battling it out in front of the jury but being able to talk after about what we can accomplish together. And criminal justice reform is is an area where that should cross political lines and also Mm -hmm. courtroom lines, where we can accomplish more together than just arguing about it and screaming to the newspapers. I like that approach. I feel like our world could just be a bit more civil. Yes. If we would be less polarized about everything. I have to believe the majority of people feel that way. I do believe that. But again, I'm I'm an optimist, so. Well, and you're the one that's reaching out, which takes courage because people like to just go to their camps and say, if you're not with me, you're against me. Right. And um, that just causes more conflict, and we're, we've got plenty of that to go around. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I also just sense and hear from you, too, that you just treat the people with whom you deal with respect, because regardless of what side they sit on, you may end up being on a committee or doing a collaborative project with them. So it really doesn't serve anyone to draw a line in the sand and say, you go over there, and I'm going to be over here. Right. And I think that's uh, the right approach that we should have as leaders and public officials. But also, in my life, I've just learned to take the high road, that you should pick and choose your battles Mm -hmm. wisely. Any trajectory moments you can think about in your life where one decision has kind of shaped the way things have unfolded for you? A relationship, a door that opened that you were like, I'm not quite sure, and then it led to this. I mean, you're now an elected official and head of an office and a very successful career. So uh, certainly I have those moments like others do, like we all do. And so a couple that I'll hit on uh, after 9-11 actually, I made a couple decisions about my life and my love life and we'll spare that for another podcast by the way. (laughs) Although I like the, hmm. Uh, And my wife and I started dating as a result of that Uh process and now we're the proud parents of two wonderful uh, 10 year olds. So. That was definitely transformative, right? 
And then recognizing when I was at the Manhattan DA's office, we, we loved it there. It was terrific. We were living close to our family in Brooklyn. Mm. But the opportunity to be part of a project to look for wrongful convictions, we picked up and left and moved out here for that project. That's and we'd, we'd been to Boulder. We had fallen in love with it uh, over the years. But that's what caused us to actually make the leap and change our lives entirely. So things like that, yes. Yeah. And then deciding to throw my hat in the ring to become Boulder's DA. That was quite the whirlwind. I mean, it's been an incredible journey. I became DA March 1st. Then I had a stand for election on June 26th. So I was leading the office and running a campaign by night and on the weekends. And I think I probably worked 18 hour days, seven days a week, just for months. And I had a tremendous amount of help and support. But that would be the most recent decision that's really changed uh, where I am and what I'm doing in my life. And I feel incredibly lucky. Did someone come to you and say, I really think you should consider running for this office? Or was it already on your heart? So a few people did, people who I respect on the defense side, prosecution and law enforcement, as well as my family. And to tell you the truth, I was the last one to decide on it, just because was, there was a lot going on at the time, and I yeah. was committed to what I was already doing. And uh, But then ultimately I realized this was the absolute right decision, and I feel like I ended up in the absolute perfect place. And there's a ton of sacrifice that goes into that. I mean, it's it can be very thankless, as you just said, with 18-hour days. Yes, although... You're right, I appreciate you saying that, but what I, I never view it as sacrifice, because I get to do what I love, and I get to do what I want, mm-hmm. right? I remember that same professor who I talked about at the start yeah. of our conversation, I once told him that I want to uh, sacrifice money in private practice to work on behalf of people, and he said, well, then it's no sacrifice if that's what you want to do. Oh, and I wow. thought that was a great point. It is, and thank you for correcting me, too, because I hear 18-hour days, and I my eyes glaze over, and I think, oh, that sounds really awful. It does if you're not, and you, not you symbolize this as well in terms of what you do, Megan. Uh, if you love what you're doing, the work, the time flies by. I mean, you, I feel really lucky. That's true. So um, in the last few minutes, um, you know, I, I think our country could use more people pursuing office for the right reasons. And so if you were to make a pitch to listeners in general about answering the call to serve in a position, whether it just be head of a board in your local community all the way to running office, you know, what suggestions would you make for people to um, kind of really step up, even though there are some, some uh, time, time commitments that you make? It's easy to feel uh, disappointed by where we are as a country right now, and it would be easy to be disenchanted by government but that's why I think it's more important than ever to be engaged and excited about being in the fight and trying to make things better. And we have, on whatever party someone's in, there are outstanding candidates out there. And getting involved on behalf of a candidate or running for office yourself, it can sound daunting. I was a first-time candidate, and I definitely learned a lot. I can only imagine. And I wasn't part of the political machine at all, and I've definitely learned a lot. Uh, But through that process, I've grown and I've learned, and now I'm in this incredibly amazing uh, position. But I think whether or not you're running for office yourself, uh, that we should all take an opportunity right now to say, what do I really support and what do I want to be a part of? And maybe not watching the news as much, but being a part of the news, being a part of, you know what, I care about immigrants, so I'm going to go down and protest, or I'm going to write a letter, or I'm going to make calls. And instead of watching the news and getting upset about something that's happening with guns, Mm -hmm. deciding to write letters in March and on whatever side someone wants to be a part of, but being engaged and being active, I think is really important right now because we're at a really uh, 
amazing crossroads as a country and people should be actively engaged in where we go. And I'm sure you've seen this like I do where the temptation is just to go to Facebook and bitch and moan about stuff. And I say this to cyclists all the time, you've got to show up, like hashtag right. show up. Definitely. Stop bitching online, show up. Right. And it sounds like your advice is the same. Get yeah. some skin in the game, get involved. I completely agree. We can all sit back and complain on Facebook and we all do at some point, right? Uh, or at least check Facebook yeah. and watch the news. And But I think the less we do of that and the more we do of being actively engaged, the better off we are and those around us are. I'd much rather have someone telling me what they're doing for the issues they care about than just complaining about the issues totally. they watched on TV. Or even frankly disagreeing with what you're doing, but at least if they're doing something productive about it, then there's a discussion to be had there. Right, definitely. So final question, this is how we tend to wrap up this podcast, not in a morbid way, but just, you know, I'm a big believer in Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind, you know. What does Michael Doherty hope that people say about him at his funeral? What is the legacy? Uh, I, so that, I guess what I would say in answer to that question is that he gave it his all. Whatever it might be. So, uh, yeah, that's what I would say. Gave one. it his all. And didn't always do the right thing, didn't always come out on top, but just gave it his all. That's what I would hope. I love it. That's what comes to mind. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been a pleasure. Yeah. It's funny you ask that as the last question because I listen to Ultra Running Podcast and their last question is always, what's your favorite kind of beer? Oh. Uh, so this is a little more... So when you set up that last question, I was like, oh. And then you said morbid. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is not going to be favorite kind of beer question. But what's your favorite kind of beer though? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say uh, IPA, but I don't have a particular favorite. Okay. Thank you so much, Michael, for your Thank time you. today. Thank you. It's wonderful to see you, and I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.